We've had a break from the character studies to look at um, parables of the Lord Jesus. This morning, we'd like to resume our character study with the study of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, not one that we hear preached about very often, but a very interesting character, and we'll find lessons for each one of us to apply by God's grace. Nicodemus, we could title our message this morning, Secret Disciples. We're going to look at lessons from the life of Nicodemus in three events from his life. First of all, we'll see that Nicodemus inquired of Jesus. He sought an interview with the Lord Jesus. The second event in Nicodemus's life was that he defended Jesus. And the third uh, in Nicodemus's life was that he worshiped, he honored the Lord Jesus. So let's begin this morning by turning to John chapter 2. And look at Nicodemus's interview with the Lord. John chapter 2, starting at verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. We may criticize Nicodemus, but we do so this morning in an effort to uncover our own faults and to deal with them. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He came to uh, Jesus under the cover of darkness. Why? Why do you suppose that Nicodemus chose uh, nightfall to visit him? Fear. Nicodemus was fearful. Uh, In John chapter 12 and verse 42, we read that even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Synagogue was very important to the Jews. It was the center of their culture, center of uh, family, center of their religious life. And it was a fearful thing to be threatened with expulsion from the synagogue. A second thing that uh, may have motivated Nicodemus to come to Jesus by night was the love of praise. Not the praise of God, but the praise of men. Uh, John 12:43, the verse following, tells us that they love the praise of men more than the love of God, the praise of God. That was, um, that was a reason for not confessing the Lord Jesus. And uh, per- perhaps Nicodemus was protective of the recognition that he used that he was used to receiving as a Pharisee that he would have lost in an association with the Lord Jesus. Nicodemus was trying to protect his position as a Pharisee. Whatever criticisms we may level against Nicodemus, 
there is a large commendation. He came to Jesus. Many rejected Jesus without a hearing. Nicodemus was not one of those. If an unsaved person is afraid to seek the Lord by day, let him seek him by night. If an unsaved person doesn't feel comfortable asking questions in public about the Lord, let him ask questions about the Lord privately. Secret inquiry is profitable. Secret discipleship is not. And we shall see that in our study of Nicodemus. Jesus committed himself to Nicodemus. In verse um, 24 of chapter 2, we read that Jesus did not commit himself to uh, these who sought him, these who believed on his name because they saw the miracles, because he knew all men. He would not reveal himself to curiosity seekers, to sensationalists. And yet he knew Nicodemus' heart. It's interesting, in some of your translations, uh, chapter 3 starts, but there was a man of the Pharisees named, named Nicodemus. There's justification for that in the original. Uh, chapter 3 uh, doesn't necessarily belong where we've put it. And so we read that um, verse 24, Jesus didn't commit himself to them. And then skipping to verse 1, but there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So there's a, a continuity of thought there that the Lord was going to entrust marvelous truths to this man, Nicodemus. He saw Nicodemus's heart. He saw a genuineness, a sincerity, be it however weak, of the Lord Jesus. It said uh, by the prophet Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He would entrust precious truths to Nicodemus. So this is where we pick up in our, uh, our story in verse 2, this uh, interview. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Peter wasn't the only one to put his foot in his mouth. Nicodemus was probably older than the Lord Jesus. He was a respected leader of the Jews. He was uh, possibly regaled in his long flowing robes that were characteristic of the Pharisees. He may have had a phylactery on his forehead representing his, um, his love for the law of God. But he uses this phrase, we know, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Others have mentioned in, uh, in looking at this verse that um, this was Nicodemus's way of saying, we approve of your teaching. We certify your ministry. You're doing good. In answer to that, the Lord Jesus confronts Nicodemus with four astounding truths. Starting in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Lord cut right through the preliminaries and got right to business with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you may be religious. You may be a leader of the Jews. You may be highly respected. But there's one thing that you lack, Nicodemus, and that's the most important thing. You lack life. His uh, terms uh, that Nicodemus must be born again suggests that Nicodemus needed life anew, life from above, spiritual life, life from God. And that was what he lacked. Imagine Nicodemus' shock. Here he was on a, on a mission to, uh, to certify the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus tells him this, Nicodemus, you lack life. I'm so glad that 29 years ago, though I carried a Bible, though I spoke nice things about the Lord Jesus, brothers were discerning enough to see that I didn't have life. I did not have the life that Jesus gives. And they were caring and uh, courageous enough to confront me on that. I thank the Lord for you. How do I get this life? Nicodemus must have thought. Jesus would tell him in verses 15 and 16. How do I know that I have life? Primarily by believing God's promise that he gave it to you when he gives it. But also there are evidences. Jesus told Nicodemus in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You see what the wind does. You may not see the wind, but you see what the wind does as it blows. It uh, knocks things over. It lifts things up. It, uh, it carries things with it. And uh, John, in his first epistle, lists evidences. He talks about those who are born of God have a, uh, a love for God. They have a love for his children, and they obey his word. There are evidences that God gives to this life. It's not only Nicodemus' need that Jesus tells him of, but he tells him of his deity, the deity of God's unique son, beginning in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Jesus, in verse 11, says, We speak 
We know. We testify what we have seen. He's uh, training his 16-inch guns on Nicodemus' little rowboat. Nicodemus, you said, we know. What is your authority? Jesus says in response to Nicodemus, we know, that is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead. We know and we testify. He overpowered Nicodemus's puny, we know. But he says also in verse 13 that no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Nicodemus must have realized that the Lord was talking about himself, that he is the one who ascended to heaven. He is the one who has come down from heaven and is speaking with him even now. A third truth that Nicodemus uh, learns from the Lord Jesus is of God's provision of eternal life to those who are perishing, beginning in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He gives an illustration from the Old Testament in verse 14, one that must have been familiar to Nicodemus. He talks of Moses lifting up the serpent. Israel had been bitten by by serpents in judgment, and God instructed Moses to raise a, a serpent on a pole. And those who, by faith, looked to that serpent were saved, they were healed. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, likewise, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Later, he would realize that this was referring to the Lord's crucifixion. But here, God was making provision for the, the, um, the salvation of sinful men and women. Whoever believes on Him as those bitten and dying of the nation of Israel Whoever believes in him, they will have everlasting life. Important to any gospel presentation is a warning to rejectors. Beginning at verse um, 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The Lord Jesus seemed to be urging Nicodemus at this point, come to the light. Come into the light. Let God's light shine on your evil, on your sinfulness, on your need. 
Because if you don't, Nicodemus, you don't have to do anything to be condemned. You're condemned already. At any point during this interview, we would have fully understood if Nicodemus had fallen on his knees and worshipped the Lord Jesus, said, I have need, Lord, for this new birth. I have need for your spiritual life. I see that you are God's Son. You are the Son of Man. That through you, the Father is making provision for my sin. And that if I didn't choose you tonight, I would be condemned by my sinfulness. Nicodemus didn't. We don't read that of Nicodemus. Nicodemus returned to life as usual. <clears throat> he went back to the, uh, to the council, the Sanhedrin. Into the night, he returned. Troubled, perhaps. <clears throat> Repentant, no. Jesus departed for Judea, we read in, uh, in verse 22. <clears throat> what was it? that Jesus saw in Nicodemus? What was it that he saw in this unlikely follower? About two years later, there was a feast of the tabernacle and Jesus taught in the temple. Turn to um, chapter 7, John chapter 7. And as Jesus taught in the temple, picking up in verse 31, many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. The Pharisees sent Officers, bailiffs, deputies to arrest the Lord Jesus. Why? Why did the Pharisees hate the Lord Jesus so? Jesus sought to reveal the principles behind God's law. Pharisees sought to adhere to the letter of the law. The law said, you shall not kill. I will not kill. But if I have uh, irrational anger against a, a man, if I hate him, uh, without uh, cause, that's okay. As long as I'm not murdering him, I'm not killing him. Jesus pointed men and women to the law as an expression of God's absolute moral perfection. The Pharisees multiplied little precepts and distinctions to such an extent that the whole life of Israel was hemmed in and burdened on every side by their meaningless instructions. The nation of Israel by this point, had lost sight of God's law. Jesus taught that true devotion to God consisted of substance, not forms, and inward spirit, not outward observances. Romans 2 last week was so good, showing us the futility of, of outward religion alone. The Pharisees taught the exact opposite of what Jesus taught, they set aside the weightier matters of the law, like judgment, mercy, faith. They avoided their obligations to the Lord and to their family. 
And so they hated Jesus. Jesus showed uh, lowliness and humility. He taught compassion for the underprivileged, help for the friendless, generosity toward the poor. <coughs> the um, Pharisees saw the poor as ones to be avoided or exploited. <coughs> they took advantage of them. And when they sought Jesus, the Pharisees would push them away from the Lord. Unless stopped, Jesus' teaching would be the undoing of all that the Pharisees relied on for their livelihood and their position in the Jewish society. Reading down in the chapter to at verse 45, <clears throat> these officers whom the Lord, uh, whom the Pharisees had sent, <coughs> excuse me, came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. The officers returned without their prisoner, but they had a good excuse. No man ever spoke like this man. Jesus had an authority that the Pharisees did not. The Pharisees may say, um, this is what we believe. This is what I think. Um, while Jesus was saying, thus says the Lord. He spoke with authority. Might Nicodemus have thought back a couple years to that late night interview that he had with the Lord and thought, you know, that was true back then too. No one ever spoke like Jesus. Had Nicodemus thought that, he's not recorded as saying it. And he missed a good opportunity to, to say so to set his, um, his colleagues right. The Pharisees condemned Nicodemus. Verse 47, Then the Pharisees answered him, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Here was an excellent opportunity again. <clears throat> have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? I have. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. He missed it. Nicodemus does raise a defense in verse 50. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Nicodemus is thinking back to Deuteronomy, and uh, there were several laws that um, required that a judge hear a case, <clears throat> hear it impartially um, before passing judgment. Nicodemus' colleagues obviously were not able to dispute this, so they turned their attack directly on Nicodemus. Nicodemus had opportunity really to shine for the Lord here, but his response was ambiguous and weak. The problem is simply this. <clears throat> a person <clears throat> cannot stand with one foot in the world that hates Jesus, that seeks to crucify him and to destroy him, and with the other foot to stand in the camp of the Lord and say, I am a disciple of the Lord. You can't do it. You can't have 
You can't have loyalty to both. Nicodemus may have tried to be a disciple and a Pharisee, a hybrid, a disacy, or a Pharisee. <clears throat> it doesn't work. It does not work. And this is partly why the Pharisees' expectation was that they would side with him, that uh, he would side with them. They hated the Lord Jesus. They sought his destruction. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You're one of us. We're counting on you to join us in destroying this, uh, this problem in, in our culture. To what temptations does a person expose himself by being silent for Jesus? Whatever he was, whatever Nicodemus was, <clears throat> his stand was a violation of his conscience. He was not standing for what or who is right, and it rendered him powerless. We see the Pharisees' rebuke in verse 40, uh, 52. <clears throat> they answered and said to Nicodemus, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. <clears throat> they, they turn on um, Nicodemus as a... Um, they, uh, they just um, try to discredit him by, by associating him with, um, with those of Galilee. Has a prophet ever arisen from Galilee? <clears throat> Which there had. Uh, Jonah was a prophet from Galilee. And so... The Pharisees were not being very thorough. I think they were more angry, more irrational at this point. It afforded Nicodemus a little persecution for the sake of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> at some point in these events, Nicodemus must have personalized the truths that Jesus had told him that night so long ago. Yes, I admit, I do lack spiritual life. I don't have the victory, the strength, the vitality that, uh, that would be given by the new birth. I realize now that the one who spoke to me then is none other than God himself in the flesh. He is God's son. I realize that God's salvation of perishing sinners is through the lifting up of Jesus. It's through God's giving of his own son in my place for my sin. And if I don't believe him, if I don't put my faith in this Jesus, I'm condemned to hell forever. <clears throat> I believe that Nicodemus finally put his faith in Christ because we find in the third event of Nicodemus's life that he honored the Lord Jesus. Turn, please, to John chapter 19. <clears throat>
Jesus had not been arrested because his time had not yet come. But when it was the Father's time for him to be killed on the cross, Jesus permitted himself to be arrested, permitted himself to be crucified, and he uttered that all-important cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He triumphantly cried at the finish, finished, complete. The payment for sin is done. He rested his head back on the cross and yielded up his spirit. And so we find him in verse 38 hanging from the cross, his body hanging on the cross, John 19:38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with, with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one yet had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Nicodemus is introduced to us yet a third time as the one who came to Jesus by night. (coughs) He's the only Nicodemus in the Bible. There's no reason for the writer to distinguish him (coughs) as uh, this Nicodemus apart from the other Nicodemuses who didn't come to him by night. And I believe that the author is stressing the timidity, the fearfulness of Nicodemus. We're also introduced to Joseph of Arimathea. What can we learn about him? Verse 38 says that he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus, but secretly because of fear of the Jews. Fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Mark 15:42 tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. Luke in his uh, chapter 23 tells us that he was prominent in the same. Mark tells us that he was a good and just man and that he was not consenting to the decision to arrest Jesus. I want to think about that one for a minute. <clears throat> um, Joseph of Arimathea was in the council when they voted to arrest Jesus. Because he was a secret disciple, uh, he was having to maintain this outward uh, formalism, this outward Phariseeism, an outward uh, indifference, if not hatred for the Lord. And yet, he loved the Lord Jesus. Do you see the, the contradiction, the, um, 
the inconsistency in Joseph's heart. Do you see that um, he was under pressure uh, day by day to deny the Lord? That was what was expected of him when, in fact, he loved the Lord. Secret discipleship is not good. Um, Mark 15 tells us that he waited for the kingdom of God. Excuse me. Matthew in uh, chapter 27 adds that Joseph was a rich man. That uh, that's going to figure prominently and of importance to us this morning. um, At some point, Joseph became a friend of Nicodemus. Perhaps these two men were witnesses to the crucifixion of the Lord. They saw his agonizing on the cross. They heard his cries of anguish. They saw the three hours of darkness. They heard his final victory shout and saw him dismiss his spirit. Certainly, they observed the Lord's lifeless body hanging on the cross. It was a shame. It was a, it was a curse to, to be left hanging on the cross. Perhaps Joseph regretted that during Jesus' ministry, these past three years, he had never taken a stand for Jesus. Roy Hill wrote in a Choice Gleanings devotional, Joseph loved the Lord, but failed to openly testify to that love. He was imprisoned by fear. This was an impossible situation. It could not continue. The strain was too great. Either the secrecy must destroy the discipleship or the discipleship must destroy the secrecy. Thankfully for Joseph, it was the latter. I want you to use your imaginations this morning and think about Joseph as he saw the Lord's body hanging on the cross. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to leave him hanging there? The one whom I love, who I had never openly testified for. I believe Joseph turned from the cross, made his way down the hill called Calvary, onto the highway, through the city gate, and into the praetorium of uh, Pilate's palace and demanded an interview with Pilate. He wanted the body of Jesus. Pilate must have thought this was strange. He saw the robes on Joseph that identified him as a member of the Sanhedrin. They just crucified the Lord. They were the ones who stirred up the crowd. They were the ones who demanded the death of Jesus. And now you want his body to bury, to honor He may have thought it strange that Joseph would have risked defilement by coming into a Gentile establishment, as was the fear of of the Pharisees. 
Nevertheless, Pilate granted Joseph's request. And so as, um, as determined, as purposeful as Joseph had marched away from the cross, he was now returning with a mission Perhaps Nicodemus joined um, Joseph at this point at the foot of the cross. What had so emboldened these secret disciples that they risked their personal safety for the body of the Lord Jesus? Both were marked men. One had entered the praetorium. The other was staring adoringly at the, the body of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Nicodemus would not be welcome in the circle of the Pharisees. Joseph of Arimathea was finished as a member of the council. The Sanhedrin knew now that their loyalty was for the Lord Jesus. Blinking away his tears, Nicodemus looked up to the cross, his heart overflowing with the same appreciation that inspired Elizabeth Clefane to pen the words, Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me and from my smitten heart with tears to wonders I confess the wonders of his glorious love and my own worthlessness. Cruel, hateful hands had nailed Jesus to the cross. Loving hands would take it down, tenderly mourned and wept. The name Nicodemus means innocent blood. As he and Joseph took the body from the cross, carefully removing the crown of thorns from his head, they saw the blood that had flowed from the body of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps he looked at Jesus' blood so fresh on his hands and he realized it was the Jewish leaders who condemned Jesus to death. It was Pilate who effectively signed the execution order. There were Roman soldiers who nailed his hands and feet to the cross, but it was my sin that put him there. Ultimately, Jesus had died as Nicodemus' substitute. It was innocent blood that had been shed on the cross of Calvary. What turned the lives of secret disciples into bold, devoted, worshiping, witnessing disciples? It was simply this. They looked at the cross of Jesus and saw their substitute there. The lesson of Nicodemus' life applies to us today. Are you a secret disciple? Study the cross of Jesus, the love of the one who was crucified there for you. This will turn us into bold witnesses for Him. 
What other lessons do we learn from the life of Nicodemus? Well, secret inquiry is good. Secret discipleship is not. Secret discipleship carries with it all kinds of dangers. And we are filled... uh, Secret discipleship is filled with a temptation to discredit and deny the Lord and to dishonor Him. Another lesson is... Don't wait for a crisis to bring out your love for the Lord Jesus. Break your alabaster boxes as Mary did in anticipation of the the Lord's crucifixion. We might miss a lifetime of opportunity if we wait. And then finally, Jesus is alive today. He rose from the dead and has ascended to his Father's right hand, and he is waiting to receive your devotion. He's worthy to receive it. May the cross of Christ be our constant and constraining reason for our love and our sacrifice and our service for Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Nicodemus and the fact that he was a secret disciple but one who was emboldened by your love shown at the cross of Calvary. We think of other secret disciples perhaps today, Lord, and um, our need for really a fresh look at the cross of Calvary. Seeing your love for us there poured out that we might know you, that we might enjoy heaven for all eternity. What a cost. We pray that it might compel us in these days ahead to love you in return, to serve you, and to to spend that time with you. We ask, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.